Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Today's scripture is Luke 23rd chapter, verses 50 through 56. If you would like, you may find this in your pew Bible on page 963. But first, let us prepare our hearts. Loving God, in you we find grace and news that is so good we struggle to believe it. Open our minds that we might receive your word and open our hearts so that we might remember it when it matters most. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph, who, though a member of the council, had not agreed to their plan and action. He came from the Jewish town of Arimathea, and he was waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in a linen cloth, and laid it in a rock-hewn tomb where no one had ever been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed, and they saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. When our kids were little, an important book in our house was Alexander and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Do you know it? Let me read you a bit. I went to sleep with gum in my mouth and now there's gum in my hair. And when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped over my skateboard and by mistake, I dropped my sweater into the sink with the water running and I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At school, Miss Dickens liked Paul's picture of the sailboat better than my picture of the invisible castle. <laughs> At singing time, she said I sang too loud. At counting time, she said I left out 16. Who needs 16? There were lima beans for dinner. I hate lima beans. There was kissing on TV. I hate kissing. 
My bath was too hot. I got soap in my eyes. My marble went down the drain, and I had to wear my railroad train pajamas. I hate my railroad train pajamas. It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And my mom said, some days are like that. You know, the first time I was reading through this book with my kids, I thought mom was going to come in at the end and offer some pearl of wisdom that would, that would alter the perspective a little bit, like, oh, you know, the sun will come up tomorrow, or, or it's not as bad as you think. But no, this mom instead opts for the truth. Some days are like that. You have probably had a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. If not, you will. <laughs> because some days are like that. And the question of our faith is not how do we avoid those days, but who will we be in the midst of them? One thing I hope is that on your worst days that you know someone like Joseph of Arimathea. Luke takes a couple of chapters to walk us through Jesus' trial and torture and death, but when Jesus breathes his last, Luke introduces us to a guy named Joseph. This is not the husband of Mary. That's the Joseph at the beginning of the Jesus story. This is Joseph of Arimathea. He comes at the end. Some think that Joseph was a disciple, a follower of Jesus. Others say it's not likely. Apart from this moment, this moment of Jesus' death, he is largely unmentioned. And yet, Luke knows him well. Luke says he's a member of the council, that he's a good and righteous man, and he also is courageous. We know this because this is the man who asked for the body of Jesus. That took courage. Because you see, crucifixion did not function just to put people to death. Crucifixion was not just intended to torture people. The real intention of crucifixion was humiliation, to demean people. A hundred years before the death of Jesus, there was a Roman slave rebellion. It was led by Spartacus. When it was finally quashed in 71 BCE, the Roman general Pompey was reported to have captured 6,000 slaves, and he crucified them, everyone, lining them up along the road for 100 miles. As they died, their corpses were left hanging there to let animals and nature take its course. Crucifixion was not just intended to torture. It was intended to demean, belittle, it was a celebration of humiliation. But that kind of practice, to celebrate the belittling of another, destroys the very thing it endeavors to protect, civilization. They wanted 
to demean, to humiliate Jesus. But Joseph wanted something else. He asked for his body that it might be buried. It took courage. And I suppose the genesis of his courage comes from this. It says that Joseph was waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God. I find that astonishing. And I think that's the reason we know of this man. He was waiting expectantly for the promised day of God. He stood in maybe the worst day of history. For this is the day that reveals the truth of so many days, the truth of the human desire to destroy God, the human desire to remove God from our stories so that our own narratives of who we are and what we're about can thrive and have no check, have no question, have no accountability to our Creator. So they killed Jesus without realizing that they were killing themselves more than him. It was a terrible, evil day. And on this evil day, while Joseph holds the lifeless body of Jesus in his arms, on the day when hope has been placed breathless in a tomb, Joseph is waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God. Even on this day, Joseph expects God to be God. And he lives toward the day that God has promised. He lives toward a day when communities will not be defined by their hatred. When communities, when the common language of communities will not be the vocabulary of incivility, he lives toward a day when communities will not celebrate the humiliation of others. He lives toward a day of justice, of kindness. If hope can be trusted on this dark Friday. It must be chosen and trusted on any day, on every day. If you haven't had a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, you will. You will have days when the hope in you is crucified. When you feel that the hatred and increasing incivility in the world is just too much. On your worst day, you're going to need to know a guy like Joseph. If I understand the text, there are two ways that Joseph mentors us. The first is Joseph simply refuses to give up on a world that God refuses to give up on. And the second, Joseph takes the long view. He refuses to let the news of the day define his character and convictions. So this past Monday, 
Our session met and the elders took some time to remember some of the shared history we have here together as the village family. We remembered the season of explosive growth in those early days. We remembered the work of congregational care as you have loved one another in times of sorrow. We remembered commitment to worship and to music that is magnetic. We remembered efforts in mission that are inspiring like the Dominican Republic and Front Porch Alliance, the Food Pantry, Antioch. It was an inspiring conversation. And if you pay attention to what God has done through the village family, it's hard not to be inspired. And it reminded me of a conversation I had in February of 2004. I took Dr. Bob to Panera for a bowl of soup. And I asked him, I said, as the new pastor at Village, what are some moments of the history of this church which I need to be mindful? Without hesitation, he said, the Black Motivational Training Center. It was a ministry in the 1970s with a very 1970s kind of name, but it was a bold effort in battling institutional racism. It got off the ground because in November of 1969, the session voted that Village would commit $100,000 to be given to this ministry that would create job opportunities and training among people of color in our city. It was to come out of the 1970 budget, but the pledges came up short. The session had to decide, do we go forward and honor our commitment or no? The session said yes, and in February, the congregation voted on that budget, including the commitment to give $100,000 to the BMTC. The motion was made in the congregational meeting, and it was approved with 98% of the people voting, voting in favor. Now, it wasn't a cure-all to battle institutional racism, but it was the step we could take in February of 1970. I have spoken to you of this before, but I've never told you about some other moments in our history. It's important for us to know these as well. In December of 1957, Dr. Bob asked our session to, an ex to extend an invitation to the Reverend Abraham Lincoln Reynolds, an African-American pastor, a Presbyterian African-American pastor in Chicago. Dr. Bob suggested it would be good to have this man preach in this pulpit. The session discussed it, and when it became time to extend the invitation, no one was willing to make the motion. No invitation was extended. A year later, 1958, the session considered a pulpit exchange with the St. Stephen Baptist Church here in Kansas City. Their pastor would preach here and Dr. Bob would preach there. Elder Gordon Sauer, I believe is how his name would be pronounced. I don't know for sure. Elder Gordon Sauer moved that we extend that invitation. But there was no vote taken because the motion died for lack of a second. As we look at our own days of being the church, those days were some terrible, horrible, no good days. 
But Dr. Bob and many of you were like Joseph of Arimathea. You took the long view and you refused to give up on a world that God refuses to give up on and you waited expectantly for the promised day of God and in a matter of just 13 years, in a matter of just 13 years, this church moved from being unwilling to receive a black preacher for one Sunday to committing more money than we had with a 98% endorsement to battle the very attitudes that we had embodied ourselves just 13 years earlier. The story of the faith and the story of our own family of faith teaches us to take the long view and to refuse to give up on a world that God refuses to give up on, to live every day toward God's promised day. Now these days, you don't have to wake up with gum in your hair to wonder if it's going to be a good day or not. More and more these days, I'm relating with Maddie Rigsby. She's the 78-year-old heroine of Clyde Edgerton's novel, Walking Across Egypt. She said she's slowing down a bit, but who can blame her at 78? That's what she says. Rather than the, bemoan the fact that she is, as she says, almost out of here, she thinks dying might actually be a good thing. She says to her son, if I were to live, I don't know, another 40 years, I might outlive the loss of everything good in this world. Sometimes I think I know what she means. There's a lot of hate. There's a lot of hate in our culture. There's a lot of celebration of humiliation. There is a jubilation in the belittling of others. There is a wanting to protect some cultural or racial silo. So it can be no surprise. It can be, it can be no surprise that once again last Sunday we came to this room with tender hearts because among other horrors of the weekend, a young man dreaming dreams far different than I dreamed in my youth. He drove all day long just so he could kill some people he had never met because they were Latino. These are dark days. You know, 60 years ago, 100 years ago, we spoke of lynching, when a mob would gather around one or maybe a few people of color and murder them in public. Today we're seeing the reverse of that calculus where one person can kill scores of individuals. When it comes to matters of racism and violence, we are going backward. And there are many who wish to lead us that way. There are many who celebrate humiliation. 
They're doing their best to remove God from our story. Now, we've been here before. There have been far worse days, no doubt. Faith makes no promise that we will escape days like these, but it also promises who we are in the midst of them. It matters. So when you find yourself asking if hope is within you, if you worry that you might outlive the loss of everything good, remember Joseph. From the world's darkest hour, with his lifeless body, with the lifeless body of Jesus in his arms, this good and righteous man took the long view. He expected God to be God, and he refused to give up on a world that God refuses to give up on. Joseph is a person like us, and at our best, we can be people like him. I I can't see the dawn of that new day. A day when it will just make more sense for us to care for each other and welcome each other and celebrate each other rather than to demean and belittle and compete and crucify each other. I can't see the dawn of that new day. But I believe that God is God and the powers that seek to destroy us are not. So even on days when hope is closed up in the tomb, trust that resurrection is coming. Remember an ordinary guy named Joseph, and let us live toward that promised day. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.